Greetings and welcome to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Today, I'm talking to Caitlin of Dental Hygiene Nation, which is a merchandise and apparel and lifestyle brand for dental hygienists, which sounds super niche, but she absolutely kills it at doing it. And we did her rebrand earlier in 2021. And we talk about that whole process, especially her feeling somewhat unsure of rebranding her huge company at that five-year mark and how we got over that hurdle, which was such a great reminder and lesson for myself as a designer and her as an entrepreneur, business owner about trusting the process. We talk about that on this episode. So take a listen, enjoy, and uh, dive right in. He's my aesthetic, branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build brag-worthy brands through visual identity, design, and social media. You're in the right spot for branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice, so enjoy the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I have Caitlin here today, founder of Dental Hygiene Nation. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk all things branding. Oh my gosh, yes. And how much I've learned about dental hygiene in the process, which is just so funny that we are both kind of here now talking about it. But for people who don't know you yet, maybe aren't familiar with the project, even though I feel like I've put it all over my social media as well. Can you tell us who you are, what you do and how you started? Yeah. Um, so my name is Caitlin Rastetter. I graduated with my bachelor's in dental hygiene in 2014. And while I was in school, I noticed that there was this, there was no company that was really celebrating my profession. Everything was really overtaken by nurses and hospitals as that's majority of healthcare is those healthcare workers. Um, So a lot of the scrub companies, most of their brand messaging was for them. And after college, I started a social media page um, that kind of brought everyone together with the sharedness of humor of the struggles that we have in dental hygiene. And it kind of just blew up. Um, And that was on Twitter. And then I started making shirts for them. And they loved it. It, The community grew and grew and grew. Um, And then it was dental hygiene problems. And then, then was next dental hygiene nation. So it became a kind of social platform and then into a company, a lifestyle brand, I would like to call it. So it's just this community of dental professionals that come together and laugh about the struggles that they have and come for advice, learn about new products in a safe space because a lot of private practices are one to two people too. So you don't really get that much of that corporate lifestyle to talk to your friend and the cubicle next door. Um, So this was a, I wanted to create a space where you could ask your sister or brother in hygiene, you know, what, what do you do in this career and just, and have fun because we live such a professional medical dry life. And this was a kind of, Hey, I'm a real person after I leave the operatory, but I can be fun too. So then yeah, Dental Hygiene Nation was born. It's five years old this year. And that's where I brought in Michelle to do some awesome branding because it was kind of something I did on Photoshop. Um, myself. At the time, it was the message that I wanted to send, but we're different now. There's different things we want to represent. So I was so excited to blend the the rebrand with the five-year anniversary. And I'm just so excited to move forward. Yeah. There's so much synergy here. I think they're at a kind of that perfect timing of you. And it's also where we're trying to go with, with my agency is working with brands that have the community thing down pat. Like they've worked at growing their community, understanding their community, giving them like what they're looking for. And we're definitely going to get into all that, but I'm curious, like what drew you to Twitter initially? Because I'm not a Twitter person. I like to pretend like I know what Twitter is and how to use it, but it's so was, I never got on that boat. So I'm curious, were you using it more personally? And then you kind of thought, okay, maybe I could do this for a little bit more, like just for dental hygienists. Like how did that story go down? Yeah. Well, you have to remember this was 2011 or 2012. So Instagram was really like not, it was a thing, but it wasn't as what it is today. So where most of my college friends were hanging out and talking and, you know, following boys and like whatever was up to on the weekends, it was on Twitter. I mean, that's where you got most of your information of keeping up with your friends, at least on the East coast. That seemed what it was, what was, it was like. So I saw there were a lot of nursing Twitter pages uh, that was 
like really funny ones. And there was like a couple for nursing and there was none for dental. I was like, okay, dental needs some savage, funny tweets out here. Representation. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, So it just wasn't the time for Instagram. It was Twitter was the hot spot. And you kind of started first with just like you said before, as a dental hygienist, you may not have a bunch of other hygienists in your private practice, but you kind of want that community that's in on the joke. And a lot of what it seems like the origin of your Twitter was, was sharing those really relatable, really kind of shareable, retweetable memes almost. Like, would you say, would you consider it a meme page? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that was, it was dental hygiene problems. That's all we talked about was the struggles and the funny things and products didn't even become a part of it until people kind of asked, they wanted shirts that said dental hygiene problems on it. And that's kind of where I was then playing around with designing some funny, putting some of the tweets on shirts. I mean, that's kind of where it started was uh, things that only they could relate to that were funny that you could wear outside of work or to work or to class. And it's just, we all kind of get the joke, the pun. Uh, So yeah, it was was like Twitter memes, tweets before memes were even a thing. Totally. And then since you've started, it seems like a lot more of those kinds of brands have popped up, right? So on to Etsy, we talked about a lot in the beginning of your process. There are kind of these competitors in the space now that are doing these kind of cheeky, tongue-in-cheek kind of style brands with the humor aspect. So when did you start to notice that change? So you have the Twitter account, and then you start Dental Hygiene Nation. And then you're making merch on a regular basis. You've got so many arms to your business. When did you start to notice like, okay, wow, there's all of a sudden there's all these players in this space? Um, I would say when cricket became big. I think it was more of an industrial change. Procreate was a, another big wave. So when cricket came out, people were making shirts. Shirt, it started with shirts on their own. Um, and then when Procreate was more accessible um, and more kind of paint friendly, um, you saw a lot of sticker companies come out because it was so much more user-friendly for people that weren't so much designers on Photoshop. Now they can buy an app and trace and have fun and express their style of dentistry. And what's cool is seeing everyone else's different style because obviously Dental Hygiene Nation is going to be my style. And I try to match what our audience, majority of our audience, what they want, but sometimes they want more cutesy or they're more on the grungy side. It's, it's cool to see different personalities pop up through to see the many facets of the dental professional. But I would, I would say it's more of an industrial change. Kind of like when digital changed when Photoshop was invented. I mean, you see these massive revelations happen that affect companies and industries and competition that give access to people to start something from nothing. And so I would say mostly we were kind of the only one on the map for a while. And then I think also seeing what we're doing and seeing us be successful. I think it also inspired people in dentistry to have that side hustle, which is pretty cool too. It, it showed them that this is something they can you know, spend a little bit of their hobby time because a lot of dental professionals, which what's weird is I noticed that a lot of them have this creativity side of them because it's kind of like this dental art. You know, yes. a lot of dentists are carving teeth out of nothing. So you have to have some creative juice in your in your life. Absolutely. So I think a lot of dental professionals, the, a common characteristic is this creative imaginative personality. So I think you see a little bit more. And a curiosity. Yeah. I think it probably goes with with the curiosity. And if you're coming from more that science medical background, like you are trying to figure out what makes things work and how does this connect to that? And how does this play onto this? And there's, I can see way more of a link between science and art than even like science and math in my head. Because science came to me really naturally. Math, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that there's there's a lot of that that is the same, right? It's about making observations, replicating things, replicating processes. But you you talked about kind of niching down or like having different aesthetics within your brand, and I struggle with niching myself as well because it's not like we only do brand designs for yoga studios, for example. Mm-hmm. I've got clients that run the whole gamut of different types of industries, and so I always struggled with the niche question because I always felt that my niche was my aesthetic. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, if you want this bold, colorful, fun, like not take ourselves so seriously, but still, you know, totally over deliver as far as like meeting the client expectations. Um, that to me felt like my niche, but not so much a look. And now you've got kind of a different scenario where your niche is the people, 
but the look is different from launch to launch, collection to collection. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And that's something we kind of struggle with recently because I'm I'm getting out of the mass uh, or a majority of my customer. I'm, I just turned 30 two days ago. So hey, happy birthday. Our, thanks. Uh, our median age group is going to be t- around 25. And when we filter on the tail ends of, you know, the early twenties and late twenties, but majority of our bell curve is in the 25 range. And I'm not that new trendy, fresh out of college girl anymore. So it's trying to figure out what's, what does my client What's their personality? What do they like? Where do they shop? So that's a big one that we use Mm -hmm. is, are they shopping at PacSun or are they shopping at Forever 21? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the trends now are, I'd say PacSun, but my customer is maybe more of a Forever 21 person that the trends aren't as heavy. So they're not so far into what you're seeing on PacSun. Like it's just fashion forward. They're not as fashion forward. So you see a little bit of consistency, but we try to hit the girly girl. We try to hit the um, like the simple girl, the airy, light-hearted, and then we try to hit the bold, kind of sassy. So I would say we kind of try to hit three personality types. I mean, you can go into deeper than that, but when you want to look at massive sales, top seller, you're going to look at the simple, basic, uh, very color cohesive. I can name a couple top sellers that they all have something in common that made them a top seller. And then the ones that are more niche on the sassy or the girly side, they sell, but they're not a top seller. But you have to have both because if I'm not going to buy the sassy, I need something that's for me. So it's a kind of a blend of all personality types, but it's, it's cracking the code. I mean, looking at trends, you just have to watch how did this sell? How did that sell? And that's kind of where... I mean, some of this stuff that we've launched recently, I do have a, a coworker of mine. She's in her early 20s. So we've kind of shifted into more what she likes to see. Um, and it's stuff that I would never, ever wear myself. But it's it's you have to look at what's what's going to sell on the charts. And it's you can't I mean, there's some things that I I want to put out because it has a, a brand message and we'll put push those through. But I have to constantly think, what is the personality of my customer? Because I'm also not my customer to a T. I mean, I don't practice dental hygiene anymore. I'm more of an entrepreneur business mindset. So I'm not even in that core value right. of my profession that you have but you to don't need, take the emotions out of you it. You don't need to be. Yeah, right. I don't think you I don't think you need to be. I don't think you need to be in school to have an appreciation for people what people in school like. You know what I mean? Just like me, I don't have to be a physical therapist to know what a patient of physical therapy might enjoy seeing in their branding. Yeah. But it's kind of about figuring out how do how do you meet the people where they're at, give them what they want, but still stay true to your brand values. Right. And which brings me to my next question. How did you feel like your branding, it was time for a rebrand? At what point were you looking at the stuff and saying, you know what, this either needs to change or or just be refined or we need to do something different here because this isn't cutting it anymore? Yeah. Well, when a lot of the Etsy shops were popping up, that was a big part of it. They were using a similar tooth to ours and it's there's not much more creative you can get with a tooth. It's an anatomical structure. I mean, there's not much you can change, especially when it's two-dimensional. I would like to say I know my tooth from other people's teeth, like that what they use in their designing, but a random person on the street, they might not be able to differentiate the little curves that I have in my tooth that an Etsy shop has. So that was kind of the start. I, I felt like we were blending in too much with Etsy shops. I couldn't tell, customers couldn't tell that's DHN versus Etsy. And I don't sell on Etsy. I, as much as I design a lot of our merch, I don't think we're a handmade, what right. Etsy's made and to be. And you're not trying I, to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're not on there. So if I'm only shopping on Etsy, the, there's this pull of shops that I'm not even being represented that people don't might not even know who DHN is now. So that was part of it. And honestly, when you, when you said, when I contacted you to do social, you kind of helped me like, well, what do you think about a rebrand? And I thought I just wanted to change the font and upgrade a little to something more modern. Five years, you know, there's a lot of articles that say five years is like a good time to start 
introducing a new look. Um, but as a, far as a totally new look, that was really, really hard to let go of that original tooth because I thought people were attached to it. Like, what if they don't know who we are? Um, right. But it was it was also the second part of rebranding was the tooth that I had with it had like a gold foil over top. I didn't put it anywhere because it was not user friendly. It was on our Instagram, but I could not brand with it outside of Instagram, which was where most of my customers are. So that was kind of, I was growing out of, there were some technical issues. It wasn't evergreen. Totally. Totally. And the first, your first logo was a, you DIY'd it or did you work with a designer the first time? Oh no, I DIY'd. I was, DIY. (laughs) I was in California actually for a trip and my best friend from high school, I still have all the Photoshop files of the the different options that we were going over. So we're just picking a font. And uh, at first it was dental hygiene nation with like a purple star, you know, taking like nation and star. And then I was inspired by uh, one of the first patients I had in college, there was a patient that had a gold crown. And that was the first time I saw a gold crown. And if you know, amalgams, which is silver fillings versus gold, silver fillings get nasty over the years so that we are taught how to polish them. It's kind of just like polishing your silver, your silverware. It just gets dull, but a gold crown, a gold filling always stays so shiny that I just was, it took my breath away. So that was kind of, (laughs) it had nothing to do with DHN and what it stood for. It was just something that I had a good feeling about. So then I made that the face of DHN, but it had nothing to do with the company too. Right. So when we approached the rebrand, I feel like I came in at a spot where you, I remember our first conversation and you were describing to me all the issues that you just said, like, we like it, but it's not unique. We like it, but it's not scalable. We like it. It's not very practical. We like it. And it's not like memorable for people because it's getting copied left and right. And it just doesn't give us anything that's proprietary. And when I hear someone describe that, I'm like, okay, then we need to do like a deep dive into what this brand is and where you want to go. Right. And I think our whole approach from my side with the rebranding was really figuring out like, how can we make something that speaks to the space, but also speaks to the now, which I don't actually get to do with a lot of brands because you guys do so many collections and so many launches of different styles and shirts and sweatshirts and accessories and stuff. Like we, we almost couldn't make it too stagnant. It needed to feel like more towards, um, like, I think it's this good blend of, of modern plus also having a little bit of that there is almost like a rootedness in it now. Like it feels more, I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but it feels <laughs> almost more established in a, in a yeah. weird way. Even though we went, we went playful, we went script, we went more cartoon in some of the design work and with like the tile accents and stuff like that. But it also, f- it gave it more assets to play with. And I think when you play with all those assets together, you actually develop more of an aesthetic because mm-hmm. you have a set sense of like, okay, here are the six colors. Here's the you know, two or three different logo variations. Here's our brand insignia, which is like this, our drippy tooth, which we love. But it gave you actually by going more towards these are what this is what we're working with to play with. It gave you actually more of a reputation, more of an aesthetic. Do you feel like that's been the sentiment since you've launched the rebrand? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I look back at old pictures of screenshots I had of our Instagram profile and it just doesn't seem me anymore. I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm so shocked of, because I was not planning on dropping and changing everything. That's a huge risk in retail. Um, but now when I look back, I just think like, who was that? And we look so much more professional now. I don't know what it is. I think just having that cohesive, like everything's, uh, the lines are more the, the lines of the drippy tooth, they're a little bit thicker than a normal outline. So it just, there's things that are so memorable. And like you said, playing, I can play with more colors, but stay cohesive. And it has that cartoon boldness that I can use throughout branding that I'm, what are my big, my biggest goal was to be recognized through our branding and not just by the two dimensional tooth that everybody was using. So now I can use because this was the other issue I was afraid to lose that tooth because that's a such an easy the two-dimensional tooth that we went from I used it in a ton of our designs that it was hard to drop that totally because sometimes you need that two-dimensional tooth and 
our followers want a headband with teeth on it. And that headband usually is the easiest to use and not use the drippy, but use the drippy as a logo and a tag. And you helped me so much by drop, like not worrying about that because it's, it's now an element, but it's not going to be the face of dental hygiene nation. And that's, I mean, that's what I wanted anyway. It was just hard to change and learn a new way of branding because I was using the tooth in designing and not every brand designs with their logo. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at Lululemon. I mean, mm-hmm. they have patterns that have nowhere, their logo is nowhere near. So it was kind of, I took an element that was a big part of Dental Hygiene Nation, but it shouldn't have been the logo too. So right. I was putting two things together that should never have been. And I think that's what caused the confusion of people were buying our stuff because the tooth was cute. I knew they weren't buying it because it was our logo. They were buying it because it was a tooth. Where now right. I think we can position ourselves to sell merch with our logo on it and they're buying it with the Lululemon incentive that they're buying DHN. They're not just buying this sweatshirt because it has a cute tooth on it. So that was mm-hmm. a huge step to be more professional and more I we actually got a comment the other day that said from a customer loving the rebrand, hashtag iconic. And that just I love melted. It. I love I just I was like that's that's all I wanted to hear. So, well, and it's the difference between using the tooth as a motif versus using that actual tooth shape as the logo. And I think a lot of like new entrepreneurs and baby designers get the two conflated, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a tendency to want to do like the Louis Vuitton thing, right? Where it's like they have the LV and then they put the LV on everything. And then it's like so recognizable. But the other, to contrast that with like a brand like Burberry, like they have their Burberry plaid that you know from a mile away it's Burberry when it's Burberry plaid, but it doesn't have to say Burberry all over it for you to associate the two with each other. But that comes from like consistency, right? So sticking with a limited color palette, sticking with one style of logo, sticking within a, you have like your baseline aesthetics so that when you do something that is a campaign or you do something that's temporary, you can, you have the foundation already to build the blocks off of instead of taking your customer on this like windy road roller coaster where they don't know the difference between yours and your competitor's product. That's like the kiss of death. Um, versus, and especially for a name like dental hygiene nation, where you're talking about it, like you visualize this huge crowd of people, you want to give them something that they want to wear with pride. Right. And they want to rock into the office. And that when you, we talked about this in the brand process also is like, we want people when they buy the stuff from dental hygiene nation, that when they put it on, it feels different than the Etsy seller. It feels different than the Instagram hobbyist person. That's like doing this kind of sometimes on the weekend, but it's more of a statement of, I belong to this larger group. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of the parallel of Greek life because I was in Greek life and that's, that's what it felt like to me. Is that how it feels like to you? Oh, I mean, we try We align a lot of our inspiration from Greek life because it is, you, you know, you have your sorority on campus, but then you have also this, I don't know what they're called, chapters, like your na- your main chapter is nationwide. I mean, you have this network of men and women that it brings everyone together, but you're also having this like fun, trendy, like wearing your letters. It's all, it always was bright and fun and like, it just brings you together. And then you see someone on the street. It is, it's fashionable club wear almost. Yeah. And it feels like with what you've designed at Dental Hygiene Nation and some of the things that we have planned is that it's going more towards that. We're driving towards the customer that is not only a huge fan of the brand, but is the first on the website on launch day, right? We had a lot of those conversations about how do you kind of create a more modern brand that does sell out on a regular basis and does have a cult following and does have the reputation of being like, you've got to get this because if you don't get it on time, you're not, you may miss out. And that's how the Greek life shirts used to be. I don't know if that was the same for you. It's like, okay, we have 200, you know, winter formal shirts, the first 200 people that buy it. And then everyone wants to snag it up. So then you can pass it on and then you can like wear it to the beach on the weekends. Like there was this culture of wanting the next newest design. And I think you've adapted that, but then take that to the next level with like Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. There's so much that has changed about like direct to consumer marketing. Oh yeah. And you and I had a great conversation about it like a month ago. Yeah. So I'm trying to like recall back to that conversation. Where do you feel like Dental Hygiene Nation, now that you've done the rebrand, where do you want to see it go in the next year, two years, et cetera? More products for the operatory, I think. Uh, More professional, well-made. You know, we do the the 
Greek life inspired sweatshirts that you wear on campus. Um, but now I want to take it to more of a sophisticated, you know, a, a fuzzy fleece jacket that they wear to the office that's really subtle and sleek that fits that medical lifestyle. Because a lot of our merch is more for outside of the operatory and wearing on campus. But then if I'm not in school anymore, I'm, I'm probably dressing a little differently. I'm going to wear more uh, simple, sleek, you know, in your later years of work, you just dress more casually and I guess more streamlined. So having a touch of dental where it's not screaming, I love dental and I love teeth, but it's kind of like that splash of teeth that I think that's the, which is kind of what's funny is kind of I'm going into more of that style for myself. So is that going to help propel getting more professional wear on the website and then still holding true to that younger generation? But is me not being the main customer might be a positive thing because now there might be this whole pool of customers that I haven't tapped into yet because I was in my early 20s and those are the things I wanted to wear. But now I want to wear something different that this could just open up a whole new sales channel of style. So yeah, I would say workwear and well-made, you know, picking more, a little more expensive pieces to have on the website because it's tough because our main customer is in college. So a lot of the the shirts that we pick and the products that we pick, they're going to be more budget buying because you don't have much money in college. So then having this more expensive piece, it's not going to you know sell to everybody, but they're, it's going to sell less. But I think it'll really make the brand look more sophisticated and I think more credible to have that more professional. And I don't think you could have done that. I don't think you could have done that as easily with the old branding. I agree. I think that if you are going more towards that sleek, towards the reputation, towards the, we are a legit company that you can come to for not only the fun, like sweatshirts and hats and bags and stuff you want to carry on the weekend that you're proud to rep that you're a dental hygienist, but for the things that you actually want to wear in the office and can be with your colleagues and and have that air about you. That's like, no, I'm, I'm super passionate about this to the extent that like, I want everything that I do around my job to feel like it has that extra sprinkle on top of being legit, right? I think that that's a great way to go about it, but that takes the time to build the brand and to build the aesthetic and build the clientele that appreciates when you do use those little Easter eggs or you do incorporate and listen to them and listen to their suggestions and give them the things that they're asking for and pay attention to the kind of things that they find funny on social media. Like, I love that you've let my team totally cut loose on making memes because that's so fun to me, like that we can just spend our time, you know, curating the right kinds of images. But even in the memes that we make, like the colors are on point, like the fonts have got to be on point, like the lighting of it, like everything has to look like it belongs because I want somebody, even if they see a meme that we make for dental hygienation, if they're sharing it on our story, we want someone to be able to click through and feel like, oh, all this goes together. Like there's some thought behind this, right? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. It's, it's exciting because it's such, it's so fun to know about a whole audience of people that I didn't really know existed. <laughs> Not that I, I, I didn't know that <laughs> dental hygienists exist. Cause like, obviously I go to the dentist, but that there's such a strong bond between that community enough to like have an entire merchandise business around it. Yeah. And I remember first starting, everyone would ask me like, you're doing what? And everyone would, the other comment would be, Oh, you should sell to nurses. I'm like, that's the whole thing is the I, there's, there's so many fun stores and scrub store. I mean, every scrub store you go into is going to be geared towards hospitals. They're not going to have the scrub caps that I need. There's different things that I need for my workday than a nurse needs for his or her workday. We don't wear bad reels because we don't need to get into a building every day. So a lot of times we would probably buy something more for our glasses that we wear every day, which a lot of people don't even from the common scrub store, they probably don't even know we even wear these glasses. So coming from an inside perspective of a curated workwear store, I hope that I can position Dental Hygienation to be that expert because the scrub stores are going to go where the masses are and the masses are for hospitals. And that's that's just the end of the day. I mean, that's normal. So not everyone's going to want to go for the niche of dental and they don't always know how to sell to them. I come from dental. I have that inside scoop that it's a little bit easier for me to know what's going to sell. So it's it's kind of a less of a risk 
I think for me to dive right. fully into this niche, could you do it if you weren't in dentistry? Yeah, but it would probably be really hard um, because you don't know the pains. You don't know what problems do you want to solve from emotional or physical with, with what they wear to work. It fuels a lot of the products that we present and it's just crazy where I, I never thought I'd be creating a store. I was dental. I went to school to be a dental hygienist and now I sell things to dental hygienists. And that's just so bizarre to me, <laughs> but it, it's like it there's more than I wasn't the only one that was feeling that way. Clearly that I just felt like they wanted, they needed a store that was celebrating them. Absolutely. There's a great audiobook I've been listening to. I just finished it today that you should listen to next. It's called Aesthetic Intelligence by oh. Pauline Brown. Have you heard, read this one? No, but I love book records. Oh my gosh. Okay. So she worked for LVMH. So Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. And she was like C-level executive, yada, yada. But she talks all about how in in the modern like consumer economy, the the pleasure of aesthetics is going to outweigh like the need for function, right? Because function can be automated, can be outsourced, can be achieved, but the creativity aspect and pulling something together that makes people actually like delighted and inspired is going to be more and more and more of a social currency than than anything. Which I mean, the whole book was like an affirmation that I'm in the right uh, field yeah. of work. Yeah. But it is interesting about about creating and curating an aesthetic that's undeniably yours. Like, and we talked about this with your logo, I remember, because you got nervous that the logo was going to be maybe like off-putting or people weren't going to like it and they weren't going to be into it. And even though we had like the research and the, the audience to back it up and we had kind of the, I saw the vision, but we had a few conversations where I'm like, no, listen, like trust trust we can go with this. Like, I, I think that this is going to be a really good direction. And you kind of were, were unsure, but then we got to the yeah. other side of it and you're like, okay, no, I trust you. So t- tell me what that's like, because I get clients sometimes where I talk to them and I show them their branding and they're unsure because they're yeah. nervous and they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know about this. Like, shoot, I don't know if this is the right decision. So how do you, when you have a hard decision to make in your business, whether someone's an entrepreneur or a designer, how do you kind of approach those and what are your suggestions for getting through them? I love this question because um, I knew I had to separate my Caitlin emotions from the business emotion. So I always ask myself, okay, is this an emotion I'm feeling because I'm scared because Caitlin is scared? Or is this a business emotion that I have a bad gut feeling that it's a bad business decision? So fear is coming from one or two places. It's I'm scared or I don't think it's a good business decision. So I try to really separate those two. And it, it, when I sat and I slept on it for multiple days, I would watch the video that you sent me. And I think I didn't even like you sent me the video and I didn't reach out for, I think a couple weeks before uh-huh. <laughs> I gave you my thoughts, which I felt really bad, but I just wanted to, no. you, when you look at something for the first time, you're getting that first impression. And then when you watch it again, now then you really start to process. And then that's where I wanted to look at it from a more strategic point of view and sleep on it and think of every possible avenue that could be a a positive and every possible con that could come of it too. What are people going to say? Were I thought of what would my customers say about the branding? So I, I would think of all the possible things they'd be mad about and okay. Is that going to affect sales? Is that going to affect business? Is it going to put us under and all the comments that they had were more just the look of it, which has nothing. People could hate our logo and they're still going to buy our shirt that has that doesn't even have our logo on it. So right. I knew that that took the pressure off of deciding what I wanted to do because it's the logo is the face of the brand, but it's not the whole part of the brand. It, totally. Like it is to, it's, but it's not the what brings in sales. Um, totally. So as long as if we make a good product, we're going to have good sales too. So it's you have to have both. So that helped me. And I talked to, I phoned a lot of friends. So I had a lot of, I called my dental friends. I called my sister. I called friends that weren't in dentistry. So I had multiple viewpoints of what they thought of it. But my, my biggest concern was, is my dental professional going to say it looks gross? Because the right, drippiness, right. I had to think, 
because I can ask my friend on the street, but she's not in dentistry. So she looks at a tooth more objectively of like, it's just an object. And a dental person is going to look at it and say, what is that goop? Is that, is that plaque? Is that fluoride? I mean, it could be good or bad. So I had to think of what does a dental brain think? Um, because that's not the common person because a tooth is such a big part of their life. They, they go to clean teeth. <laughs> Uh, there's no way I can put the dental brain on because that's not my background. So this is where I feel like designers, you have to pay attention to what the client is telling you and consider all these factors because I would have never known or couldn't, could not have ever known that that could even be misconstrued as something that would be a negative for the brand. Right. So that was tough because I knew I could lean into you for advice, but there was that little aspect of dentistry that I was afraid that you know all of the you you made a brand logo that was like hit all the checkpoints but it's but there was no one i could turn to to say what do you from a dental perspective is this the right move for dental branding because even my dental friends they don't know branding so that really didn't help right. me either so right. i was just very transparent with you and i'm like i am scared and I remember that conversation. I'm so glad I just told you what I was feeling because I had that little gut feeling that I know it's a good thing to do. So I was leaning on that and I knew it was a good move. And But I still had to play through every scenario of what are they going to say? Is this going to like, can I put this on products? We talked a lot about that. So I still had to kind of convince myself. But at the end of the day, I had to listen to my gut after like peeling everything back and that little mm -hmm. gut feeling said, it's going to be okay. So listening and peeling all of those emotions away, it was hard to dig down into that gut feeling. But then once I got there, it was like weight was lifted. I'm like, this is it. I'm, this is what totally. I want to do. I feel great. But I had to walk through and process all the goods and bads to find that gut feeling, if that makes sense. Yes. And there are two huge branding lessons in this. One is you can never please everyone. It right. is absolutely impossible to please everyone. And you and I talked about that too. It's like, okay, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. The second lesson is the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. And I'd rather piss some people off. If we felt like this logo was checking all these boxes for you, it was fun. It was young. It was exciting. It was unexpected. It was immediately recognizable. It kind of had this Kylie lip kit kind of vibe. Like it was kind of okay of like, I think of it because if you're looking at the logo and I have the sweatshirt on today, yeah. so I'm looking at it right now, is that the way that we've got the illustration of this like drippy tooth, I think of like drip, like swag, swag, we've got dental hygienation swag. And I think of the drippy part of it being confectionery. Like there is this sweetness, this like joy, this treat about your brand that makes people want to buy it. Just like seeing like a drippy ice cream cone. Like there is kind of that connection of like, okay, it's kind of got this candy colored quality. It feels um, like you want to know more about it. It's intriguing enough to kind yeah. of pull someone over the threshold of just being like, oh, it's just another t-shirt brand because it's not just another t-shirt brand. And we're trying to drive more towards the, we want people to see it and recognize it, whether they love it or hate it, because the ones that love it are going to be all in. And why oh, wouldn't yeah. we want to talk to the audience that loves it? Because if you have the conviction in your decision, then like people will be on board and they'll hop on your crazy train. If you're like, guys, this is it. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if they're not creative, right? If they're not, if they don't consider themselves like creative minded or they don't consider themselves fashion forward, they're looking to you to make those decisions for them anyway. Right. So like, and, why not yeah. blaze the trail? I don't know. Maybe that was a whole, maybe my brain was totally on a tangent on that, but I felt like that's where you had this giant open, like this breakaway to really make a difference from all your other competitors and just say like, yeah, we're doing this now. And like zoom, like go for it. And that's what really helped me is when you, you, the first thing I said to you is I want to look different. And when I would show it to other people, I would say she hit the nail on the head. We look different. And but it had like this sassy but ironic take on it, which is also uh -huh. where we're that professional person, but we also like to go out and with our friends and have fun and wear a cute sparkly dress. That it was that it really felt like it meant something to the business where the old logo, the gold tooth, it had a good moral to it, you know, be shiny, be bright, whatever. But this really the tooth like represents our customer, which is what I want it to do is 
I'm sophisticated, but I like to have a lot of fun. I'm, I can show up to work and look really professional, but I also have a social life that is not the same person I am at work in a good way. I mean, you, you have to be two personalities. So I think I knew all of those things. And when you look at the core of my, that my why of asking you to rebrand, you hit it on the, on the head. Like I, that's all I kept going back to. It was like, she, she nailed it. So what am I afraid of? And I just had to be okay. The biggest problem was change. I was, I was so afraid of the change and I had to admit that to myself too. Right. There's this, this saying that someone said to me years ago that just always like rattles around in the back of my head. It's like, you don't settle until you think you've peaked. Yeah. And so if you catch yourself settling, it's because you're not, you haven't reached the next level. Ashley, Ashley Pollard says this too, like new level, new devil, right? Where you got as far as you did, you got as far as you did with the old logo, old branding, right? And then you kind of hit this like, "Mm, maybe things should change. I'm feeling like things should change, but you didn't even know where you could go because you didn't even have the context of understanding what the difference would be between what you had and full stack branding could do. Like how, like what the difference is in taking it to the next level. And one thing that I, I think helped too is I think you did, I think it was Hotel Lobby Candle, where when you redid her logo, she then was popping up on huge news sites because she looked the part. And I like I want bigger companies to look and want to promote our product. And they, we have to look like we're not a, I don't want to say a, like a handmade business, but I'm not my, I'm, I'm not a one man band anymore. Right. I, I want to be seen as a business with a marketing program and advertising budgets. And I want, you need to look older than you are. And like as in business terms, I mean, you want to look bigger than you are established. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I just wanted to be seen as an established business too. And that logo really helped. And it will help you get into the, it'll help you get into the rooms that you want to be in, in the way that, you know, Hotel Lobby Candle wanted to come out the gate and look like it belonged in a luxury hotel. They weren't going to be, they weren't going to use a handwriting script font because that's not, they didn't want to be like your local neighborhood candle maker. They wanted to say like, no, we are going to come out swinging. And my favorite part of that story is we launched their whole first launch with no product photography. We just had Photoshop (laughs) mockups, but we, we did, we found a way to kind of hit that niche. And for her, she was so clear on who her, who her ideal client was. And she was so diehard that now when we launched candles and like she did a live when we launched and somebody said, the candles are out of my price range, but I still want to support your brand. What can I do? Like that's how much wow. the community is into it. That even if they're not buying a 54, $56 candle, like they are so into it that they're saving their pennies as like, they're going to buy that for themselves as like an investment. And why wouldn't yeah. you want your brand to be that? Like what is not to right. love about that idea? Because it just conditions the people that that know, know. And I think now more than ever, because it's direct to consumer and because you can buy things online, like you don't need to exist in like a Nordstrom's because you're so niche. But then again, like why not be the leader of your own category then? Like why not be the trailblazer right. of your own category so that people are like, oh shit, I want to do what they're doing. Like they look like they really got it together. Like I just feel like that's where things are going. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I just outgrew, like I said, looking at the old logo. I just that doesn't even, I don't even know who that person was. Right. And, and it's just so crazy because that wasn't even my plan. So now here we are. Like you said, I don't even know what could, what good could come from this new logo. And I think that's what's also exciting is there were more positive what ifs than there were negative what ifs. And if people hated the logo, they would talk about it, which is good publicity. Exactly. And it's it's not like they hate our products. I mean, if they hated the look of it, okay, but that's not going to be in your face everywhere. We do so many different vibes of our collections anyway. Totally. That I don't think it was going to make or break our business, but it was, it was a good move because we are now going to be recognizable. When you look at all the check marks of a good brand, it's recognizable, it's cohesive, color palette makes sense. It tells a story and it embodies your customer and the personality of the customer that I couldn't deny that it was all, it was all there. It was all okay. So I just had to, I knew it was my fear. So. And here we are. We made it to the other side of your fear. 
Ta-da. I know. Ta-da, now ta-da. I want it everywhere. And the the old logo, I like I, it was cute, but it, like I said, you couldn't put it everywhere because it had that gold foil that it only made sense to use gold gold foil and you can't really use it all the time. Um, so now I notice I'm like, I want it on our office door. I want it as a mural. I want it on my car. Like I now I'm seeing my, myself want it everywhere that I'm sure the customer, it's going to take some time that yes. my loyal customers are going to be all in right, right away. But everyone else is going to kind of have the same process I did. It's like, you got to get used to it. It is change. Change is hard for anybody that I hope that they're going to fall in love and be obsessed with it. Just like I have. And it's just be comfortable with change, but then they'll really, like, and it's, it was- the, it's the psychological like confirmation bias of once you see it and once you're acquainted with it, you start to see it everywhere. Right. Then you start to see opportunities. Yeah. Like you said, murals, like I'm thinking of there's a mural in San Diego that looks like drips. Jen Stark is the artist. And it's just a bunch of like layered drip drippy looking stuff. It's like, Oh, we definitely need to do a shoot there because it's so true. It's just like when you're looking, when you think about a blue car, all of a sudden you see blue cars everywhere. It's a way of tricking your brain. And if you can start to plant the seed in the mind of your client, then like, why not go all in on that vibe? Like people for, once I switched all my branding to yellow and like really embrace yellow, people send me yellow stuff all the time. Saw this, thought of you. Oh my gosh, you need this dress. Oh my gosh. Someone was wearing a yellow hat, thought it was you. Like it just becomes this, it has nothing to do with my brand necessarily. Like me liking hats and me liking the color yellow. Those are personal inclinations, but that's become my trademark in a way that it's, Again, it's triggering something that when somebody sees that out in the real world, they're thinking of my brand, which is a great happy accident, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that's that's not in our favor is we obviously use purple. It's the color of dentistry. And every other dental company uses a version of purple. Surprisingly, I don't think a lot of companies use that lilac lavender that we use, which is actually like the color of dentistry is actually lilac. I think it's wisteria is the technical term. So that's hard to, a lot of people use the dark purple, but our purple is definitely more blue. So it's still playing on colors, but that was, that's something that doesn't work in our favor, but they love purple so much that we can't not use it. And I, it's also my favorite color. So that's, it can work in your favor or not in your favor. Totally. When, but then all the like, more reason dentistry. to lean into the logo that is more polarizing, right? Because if you're going to keep things that are constant, so you, when you're approaching branding, you can either replicate or you can alienate, right? So you can go all in and like start to mimic the things that you know already work in a certain industry in a certain style in a certain niche, or you can be like, screw that. I'm going the other way. So for hotel lobby candle, obviously we wanted to replicate like fine fragrances and five-star hotels. And like, that was the style that we replicated, not the style of the candle industry. Like we wanted to go for the niche that was over there. So same with you, instead of just, although you have similar colors to other brands, the color isn't your differentiating factor. The branding is, the tone is, the voice, the community, like those are your, that's your, what do we call it? Unique USP, unique sales proposition is the brand itself and not necessarily the colors or even the styles because the styles will change from launch to launch to launch. But I, it is such an interesting conversation. I'm such a nerd for it. So I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. you it, That was so well said too. <laughs> and that's where like every time I was feeling a certain way, you just, you showed me examples and we talked things through. Like I couldn't have been more thankful of that in just telling you how I was feeling and you had evidence and you know reasons why you did everything you did. It really built our trust to work together too, because I knew you weren't doing it for or like the design, like anything you did, the colors you picked, the fonts you picked, you didn't just like, oh, that one's cute. So I knew that you like put so much time and effort and there's reasons behind why you chose the things that you did that also gave me so much trust to say like, this is the right move because it wasn't just me five years ago picking a font because I thought it was cute. Right. So right. that is, I think, huge. Um, and that's why I hired an expert. The first time I did it, I didn't know what I was doing. And this is, I'm just so. And most people don't. And that's the best way to learn. Truly. The best way to learn is to kind of stumble your way through it because you're going to like, I very, very seldom recommend that anyone invests in branding on like day one of starting their business, because you don't even know who you are, who you're talking to, what your services are, what your offerings are, who your audience is, what they care about. Like you might think, you know, but I find that the brands that we work with, the ones that are more successful are the ones that have a very crystal clear picture of who they're selling to. 
like, and how they want to sell to them. So those are the criteria that, again, like kind of take it from basic to brag worthy. The difference being just like, okay, let's make the visuals then mirror who we're trying to talk to. So like everything is Mm -hmm. in concert with each other, because I think that's where where a lot of business owners can slip up is they get kind of this like analysis paralysis or they feel overwhelmed or they don't feel like they have legit branding. So then they don't move forward. Um, But I almost would say it's better to kind of like stumble your way through it and then get to a point where like, okay, I think I know who we are now and then rebrand than to like sink a bunch of costs in it at the very beginning. Absolutely. So I resonate with those kind of people. Yeah. And then it just changing totally was, it's like, I had to do it now. Either I do it now or I do it five more years from now, it's like, you might as well just do it now. And then over the years, I'm sure we'll make a little less changes, but we really didn't have the face of a brand yet until that day. So I'm just obsessed with it. I just (laughs) love it so much. I just love like your sweatshirt, everything, like the colors, just, oh, I just love it all. Oh, so where can everyone find you, connect, um, follow? Where can they buy the stuff? I don't know how many people listen to a marketing podcast that are yeah. dental hygienists specifically, <laughs> but they should come over and take a look at the site anyway as a case study Absolutely. for how this all comes together and the social. So where can everyone do that? Okay. So our Instagram is DTHYNation. Um, our website is dentalhygienenation.com. We are also, we are still on Twitter as DTHY Problems. We wanted to keep that um, cohesive to our start, but that I don't tweet as much as I used to. And then Facebook, we really just post the same content from Instagram, but that's Dental Hygiene Nation on Facebook as well. And TikTok. She's on TikTok. The videos are up. Newly TikTok. Newly TikTok. Yes. And keep your eyes out guys for collections, new things dropping in the new year. Our team is pumped about it. We're really excited to jump in. Yeah. 2022 is going to be epic. Yay. Cool. (laughs) Thank you so much, Caitlin. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle, of course, and it would mean the world to me if you would go ahead and leave us a review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, really. The Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. We'll catch you next time.